This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is an inclusive, socially conscious PR collective that puts their money where their mouth is. They have a current roster of bands that reads like a greatest hits anthology. Brainiac, Catholic School, Jawbox, The New Amsterdams, Oceans in the Sky. I mean, the list goes on and on. They also do PR for record labels such as A La Carte, Arctic Rodeo, Steadfast, Rad Girlfriend, and so many more. How do they pay it forward? How do they put their money where their mouth is? By generating thousands of dollars in annual charitable donations to the likes of Women in Vinyl, Coalition of Communities of Color, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and many, many more. The man has the receipts. I've seen them. It is real. The artists, labels, and podcasts Sweet Cheetah works with are curated with an eye on working primarily with friends. You could find Sweet Cheetah on all of the social media platforms, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Sweet Cheetah PR and they will be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. And welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. Tonight on the show, Thomas Corbin. Thomas has been doing this little project called General Labor for quite a few years now. Um, Alien Crosswalk EP just dropped pretty recently, as well as the live soundtrack to a little film called The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. I've been sitting on this episode for uh, far too long, sadly, um, but I'm here to give it to you tonight and to let you know that there will be another relatively soon. We'll be featuring uh, more than a few tracks by General Labor in the body of the episode. If you like what you hear, which I can't imagine why you would not, go over to generallabor.bandcamp.com. Go buy some music, man. You can buy a cassette of the soundtrack. You can shoot the moon, man. You can do it all. You can do it all. You can have it all. I'm here to tell you, you can have it all. <laughs> so I, got, I have a few uh, exciting irons in the fire um, I'm going to be making an announcement on Instagram and Facebook in the coming weeks about some of the interesting and exciting interviews that I've done as of late. I've been recording back-to-back on my days off and uh, trying my best to bring to you something fantastic, something exquisite, human interaction, Friendship molding. It's love, man. I hope you feel the love. I'm here to present you with the love. I hope you love the love I'm making for you. On a side note, I hope you all are at least checking out offshelf.net. 
Offshelf.net is a phenomenal online music magazine, fanzine, uh, cultural hub. I have a monthly column on there called Shadow Plays, where I talk about not only the newer post-punk music that's exciting me, but how it connects to my sense memories and the tactile experience of being uh, a music aficionado and appreciator as a small, small little man and coming up loving music and and kind of drawing uh, a comparison between what it meant then versus what it is now. And it's a very uncynical viewpoint on that as I have a deep love, affection, and appreciation for the music of the times, the things that are happening in the now. That being said, I'm going to give you a little snippet of Prince Ahmed's triumph from the adventures of Prince Ahmed. That was an excerpt from General Labor's soundtrack to the adventures of Prince Ahmed. And without further ado, I give to you Corbin of General Labor on the book, A Very, Very Bad Things Podcast.
that. You know, there's like a takes you a second to read all the fine print. Yeah, absolutely. Especially since you know it's it's uh, you know you're jumping in on some sort of programming. I'm so computer <laughs> illiterate. Like I'm I'm going to be 46 next sure. month. You know, I'm I'm still listening to vinyl and cassette tapes. That's where I'm at right now. Well, it it has it has fully made its comeback, and I think you're. Uh, yeah, you're you're right on. <laughs> well, yeah. Now I only had to wait what thirty years for that to take place, but you know. Right. So, um, John Christie has been really singing your praises to me, uh, basically throughout the entirety of this past spring and summer. Um, you know, General Labor is has been your main project now, correct? Yeah. 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 That's and, my baby, and I drum for Catholic school. Yeah, yeah, and and you know John really, John really like has this deep, profound love for you that he doesn't keep a secret. You know, sure. he, like and anyone in his you know general stratosphere, he sings your praises to. Um, but like, it, with bearing that in mind, you've uh, had a lot of pratfalls in the way of kind of making this a reality for yourself. Have you not? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a solo thing started about five years ago. A couple, couple friends reached out and, and expressed interest, interest in making it a, a live thing. And one of those dudes ended up totally being like unhinged and like, you know, it, I'm far enough removed from it now to be like, Wish him the best. I'm going to stay in my lane, though, and you do the same. But, like, so my, you know, and and that was the first iteration. There were three more after that, this this one right now being the third. And I think I've finally settled on, like, sort of my my dream lineup of of guys that kind of get my vision and can implement, you know, their their skills. Because there's guys in my band who who know way more about the recording process and like how to frequency spread properly and things that I'm just a punk rocker. I don't know what the fuck I'm just yeah. writing music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, me too. Um, I get it. Really cool. You know, and, and, and because the demo was mostly electronic, you know, I, I became obsessed with synthesizers and all this and anyway, uh, so, so we did the punk band, uh, a few, few, few different versions finally landed on this crew I've got now. And then all of a sudden, uh, they're like, so do we want to send triggers from the drum kit to like some sort of drum machine? So it sounds more like the demo. And I'm like, well, I've never thought of that. I like, I wouldn't have considered that. So now that's what we do is it's like this hybrid electronic situation. It's pretty rad. I it's, it's, it's bigger than, than really I could have imagined five years ago for sure. Because you're coming from that punk rock background that, you know, three chords in the truth. Uh, but then you get well-versed musicians into the mix and it becomes another animal. I totally get that because, yeah. you know, I'm somewhere between like Bob Dylan and social distortion and, and my own songwriting skills. So, right. I mean, there's that there's that uh, simplicity of of like you know the the springsteen of it all versus my absolute and utter just adoration of the cure sure yeah totally so and trying to get those two to coalesce in the same space is very difficult and, and to me it seems like 
especially I just watched a live video of you guys from like a day or two ago that John. Oh, that was last night. Did that you? That was really? last night. Yeah, I just watched it. I just watched it. Phenomenal. That rules, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, when I tell you, John really, you know, goes to bat for you. He absolutely does, and I, I love him to death. Yeah, me he, too. Yeah, he he. Um, I don't normally bust into the. I'm sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to clarify that Corbin is no longer associated with Catholic school. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure there's anyone except for John uh, that are in Catholic school at the moment, unless he has gotten some other musicians, um, which he very well may have. Uh, for no other reason than to fact check, I offer this piece of information going forward because we do talk a bit about... You know, that. and this might be a later thing but um since you since you brought him up uh, i i we played a show general labor played a show it's called maribeth fest he has a cousin maribeth and uh i think it started as a joke like for her birthday or whatever they like she works at this venue high tone and uh it started as a joke but it's been ongoing now for a few years and john saw general labor play there last year um you know pandemic was still very full swing i mean i guess it still is lord um but uh and he just like tractor beamed over to me as soon as the show was done and um he was like i know you don't know me but like you're gonna be in my band <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like johnny <laughs> and that, that, that's how we met man and uh i i i'm a sensitive artist I respond to flattery. <laughs> sure, of course, of course and, uh, you do. And validation, and anytime someone comes up to you right after a show, and they're just beaming, and they're like, oh my God, like, that already fills my heart. But then to have someone be like, I saw you guys open for Black Marble, and mm. I knew I was going to find you, and then here you are, and fucking, it's, it's, it's going down. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I couldn't say no. <laughs> yeah, especially like someone writing at the caliber that John Christie writes at. Absolutely. I mean, it's not like you, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the new Catholic school record that hasn't happened yet. Uh, well, yeah, but it, it's f light years away from the last one. It's so phenomenal. It's, it's different. It's different, but it's different in every great way you can possibly construe different from because he's not just sticking to a formula that that had occurred on the previous record it's it, he's allowing himself to grow as an artist especially since he's a human being right. who's being affected by the things happening in the periphery of his life totally yeah and 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 i'm drumming on that and and i think part of what makes it so different too i'm sorry i'm trying to find a better position here um, no, it's looking a lot better i can tell okay, you okay okay good uh, that's probably just my inclination to hide in the shadows. Just like yeah. every time we play a show, I'm like, can we just kill every single light in the house? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think part of it too is like, you know, the, the first record and it's so fucking beautiful and honestly perfect. Yeah. Like it just is. Um, I wish I had more to do with that record. <laughs> I didn't know John yet. And yeah. um, luckily we've met and, and we've, we've got our own crew, just like I've got mine for general labor. Um, and we're all really tight now. Um, 
Kip Allhorn from a band called Cloudland Canyon and yeah. several other projects that have been amazing over the years. He's, he's really prolific. And my buddy Andrew and the bass player Jerry. Um, I think part of the reason the new record sounds so different is John has allowed us to step in and kind of give it our flavor. And yeah. I respect that because I know as an artist, it, every song is like your baby. You get precious about it. Of course. And you gestate it, and, and then you want it to be a certain way. And it's hard when somebody steps in with a different conception, maybe, of, of what like what they're hearing in the song. And, and, you know, obviously there's been a lot of dialogue, but for the most part, he really let the band kind of take it and run. And I, I think it, it created this, this really uh, beautiful blend of John's vision and then just whatever else everyone else brought to the table. Um, and the sound of that room, because you, got, oh yeah. you recorded in what is essentially the central room uh, that birthed rock and roll. Right. As we understand it, which would be Sun. Right. Pretty, a pretty historic spot, for yeah. sure. And I, I definitely, that, that was a bold move. I was like, man, we got enough. I mean, the Kip knows how to record like super good everything he's put out is like polished and great and it's like we live in memphis yeah we have sun studio at our disposal and i think that was a really cool move um in retrospect and it was like so awesome being there and like experiencing that and seeing the pictures on the walls and feeling like you're a part of it so i yeah. think that sort of it, that I think that bled into the record in a lot of ways. It did because like when you listen to it and let's face it, no one else outside of the both of us, John and the guys in the band right. know what this album's really about. Sure. It does have that flavor of, uh, I, do, I hasten to call it Americana because it's not, but what it is, is uh, a very raw, very real portrait of of a band in flux right totally i i get that i get that impression as well you know of course your perspective is different being a third person yeah from like you know being involved in the whole process but i think that's totally spot on of like that record was very much us going okay so on the first one we were meant to I was meant to emulate a drum machine, essentially. Yeah. When I, le when I learned the songs from the first record, and now it's like, we get the vision, we get the vibe. Um, we're in this new environment. Like, we've practiced... The, and, and John's style for writing and recording is like I've never seen. Mm. This guy, he can crank out songs, like, in his sleep. Okay? And... All of them are good. Some of them are great, and some of them are brilliant. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And fucking, um, so he took a week off work. He might have told you all this. Yeah, yeah. He but... took a week off work, wrote the album, recorded the demos. I was there for a lot of it, um, doing drum machine stuff. And, uh, and then it was like, all right, guys, let's <laughs> hear the demo, learn it. We're going to go to Sun. And we really didn't get together a whole lot before we went to the studio and that was a little nerve wracking for me, but like he had such confidence in us and in, in the songs that it was like, I trusted the process and here we are now it's been, I guess a few months since we recorded and 
I, I think it's coming along great. I mean, I think there maybe Kip is still mixing a few things and tying up some loose ends, but uh, I'm really happy with it where it's at right now. There's no reason not to be happy with it because <laughs> in all honesty, it hits on all cylinders. And like we'd both said, it's like, if you love Catholic school, you're going to love this, but it's not like that first record at oh, all. Right. In, in the slightest. Yeah. And, and part of me wants to reconcile that and be like, oh man, should we mix it differently so that it, it it's it's more consistent? But honestly, like, I think it's good to let it be its own thing, you know? As it should, because, I mean, how many bands that we love had a first record where the sophomore album thereafter was vastly dissimilar? Probably a lot. Yeah, totally. Like three imaginary boys from the cure is not the same as everything that happened thereafter. I mean, it, sure. it, it all starts off at the humble beginnings. Sure, okay? yeah, and you either hit, there's either the sophomore slump <laughs> or that next step up. Exactly. And to me, this is that next step up. Yeah. But bearing in mind the fact that you have your own thing going on with general labor like kind of how does that tie into all of this because i obviously john was a fan of what <laughs> you were doing on the outside of his own project sure. general labor is i don't want to say vastly dissimilar from what catholic right. school is but it's different it's very it's, different it is very different um you know there are some common sort of interests between us um you know you can you can say like everyone else in in the city that we're under the post-punk umbrella, but I mean, yeah. what does that even mean? What do those words even mean? Nothing, uh, really. Nothing. It means what? We like were fans of Ian McKay in high school. I don't know, like yeah, what? Which we all were. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you're wearing the shirt. He and I. One of the first bands we talked about was The Cure and Disintegration, yeah. being like one of our favorite albums. And um, there is a so so the thing with General Labor, I would say, one of the main differences is. With my project, we have songs all over the board. And that's not to say that this new record, it's, it, it jumps around quite a bit uh, thematically and sort of genre, sort of taste-wise. But um, yeah, I, I t I'm, I'm pretty unhinged with my writing. A lot of what I like to do is honestly fuck with the audience. Like, it, it makes sense that the only recordings I have are either practice recordings of the band just trying to figure the songs out or like early demos that I did because we're constantly, they're constantly changing and it's, it's very much written for a live performance. So it, it, this was a retrospective realization, but like it makes sense. We haven't even recorded yet. Yeah. I've now had the band that I have for a, about a year, maybe over a year. Um, and again, like I said, it's been ongoing for several, but it's been about the live show. So these songs were written like, okay, so let's do that build up that you do in the demo. But instead of dropping into the second chorus, we're just going to have a complete stop. And then we're going to make some noise for a while. And it's like, what is yeah. the audience not going to expect? So what's funny, and that's worked out great for the live show. What's funny is now like, how is that going to work in a recording? But uh, you have to realize though, that, you know, we have examples of bands that did just that. We have Fugazi, we have Rites of Spring, we have Embrace. Sure. 
like the whole DC hardcore thing is tailored to what we're talking about right, right. now because it was legitimately tailored to the live setting uh -huh. and, and the recording was the afterthought. It, it, sure, was, sure. it was just a blueprint to drive what the song would be in a live setting. Also a great Fugazi song blueprint. Oh, blueprint. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. But you, you take all that into consideration. I mean, that is punk to the nth degree. That is what it is supposed to be about improvisation Fair. and yeah. being in the moment. And yes, we love this record, but we love seeing you more. Right. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you, you bringing that up. That's a good like distinction to make. I, I honestly hadn't considered that, you know, a lot of the bands that I'm into, I mean, I guess it checks out, right? It tracks like yeah. your, you know, your influences um, definitely help shape your tastes and stuff. But like even bands like Unwound and like Shipping News or Shipping like Shipping News, great example. Slint, like Slint, like where the fuck did Slint come from? You know, it's like, well, Slint, they, think about the fact that Slint were kids when they recorded that first right. record. Kids. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful, and like, there's nothing like it still, really. Bands have tried. Um, yeah, yeah, but David Pajo is still, like, we all kind of worship at his altar because right. Spiderland is a perfect document of yep. uh, uh, what the uh, mid to late 80s could have been if everyone else was paying attention to this yeah. amazing shit that was happening. Yeah, if they were tapped into what was going yeah. on behind the scenes, yeah. Same with un Unwound in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you go right from the Melvins to Unwound, and there, there's very little in between as far as... Right. People could cite the whole grunge movement, and yes, there was merit to a lot of it, but in all reality, it's the Melvins botching Unwound. <laughs> Those three bands to me were like it for sure, the sure. Northwest, you know? I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm glad you know your stuff because I'm no good at remembering like where <laughs> everybody's from and like what right. the timeline of everything. I just know what's on my playlist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it all comes out in the wash anyway. It doesn't matter when it happened, where it happened. It's just what was important. Right. What was a hallmark and a hatch mark on a year or an era or a scene, whatever you want to call it. Totally. And I think that's what, like, I just 45 minutes ago watched that live show that John recorded. And to me, it, it really does track in confluence to a Fugazi and Unwound one of those bands that they're not self-conscious it's just about getting in the mind space of the jam yeah with, oh, without yeah. being a hippie right oh yeah and and what's funny is like i i used to be afraid of the jam just yeah. like i used to be afraid of jazz music and like yeah i, I don't know if you've ever watched mighty boosh but he's like oh, you've oh, i love <laughs> <laughs> i used to fear the jazz and it's and it's sharp angles and it's unpredictability mm -hmm. but uh Again, my, my, my current band, um, Elijah, my drummer, trained jazz percussionist. He went to Loyola School mm -hmm. of Music. And this motherfucker, I'll, I'll ride a bass line and I'll be like, D isn't that crazy? And it'll be like, well, it's in 7-8, but you're switching between 7-8 and 4. And so so many cycles, you're back to the 1. And I'm like, <laughs> <"All right." laughs> it's, I'm glad you know what's going on. Um, 
And so they add this element of like what feels like improvisational. I mean, people have said, what, what, what would you call yourself? And I'm just like, I don't know, post-punk. And they're like, noise jazz, jazz punk. Like, I, and I'm like, I'll take, I'll take whatever at this point, but we definitely yeah. like to get lost in the jam. Uh, more often than not, the jam is pretty noisy, mm-hmm. but we have our moments where it, it back to your a question a minute ago, um, it kind of crosses over into the Catholic school territory where we let the ambience and the sort of wash uh, the wall of guitar and or synth or whatever um, speak for itself and try to back up and let it breathe, which is hard for me to do. I'm a maximalist uh, as much as I wish I were a minimalist. Uh, I'm just, I fill the space. Like, I don't know if you can see my fucking house, but like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a lot of empty space and I, I feel like I write that way too <laughs> this is my life brother I mean it's it's <laughs> instruments and records that's basically oh. it and what you're saying like hits on so many different uh, familiar levels because I was in uh, what people would have considered back in the late 90s early 2000s to be an improvisational jazz influenced hardcore uh hardcore band really i like the sound uh, of that but what we did was we wrote about 23 or 24 uh i guess passages of music 24 parts and whenever we set foot on stage we started wherever it felt right and just allowed it to happen and we toured with like everyone from the mars volta to the locust doing no stuff kidding. like this yeah wow and we were called the distalysis compendium and okay once we had broken up, everybody went on to be in like an albatross and all these other like notable bands. But where it all started was just this group of, uh, hardcore musicians that wanted to, you know, broach the whole idea of, of what it is to be a structured band because we we were into Godspeed you black emperor and the Uh Rachel's. And, and I think that's what really, resonates with me about what you're doing because it feels like it's in the same spirit or totally totally yeah 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 sort of just like sound exploration right yeah um another thing is like well well a if you get into synthesizers Mm -hmm. you're you're gonna find some weird noises and like if if you're into that you're gonna you're gonna explore that and uh you know, I, I, I got my first synth a few years. I'm, 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 a, I'm a newcomer to it, but man, uh, I had played drums and bass since I was like 16. And mm. then I discovered synths and it's like this new love affair where like, I'm now, some of these songs, I guess you saw from last night, I'm yeah. like, how can I play bass? And then like in the drop of that fucking dime, like, or whatever the phrase is, to have my hands on the synthesizer. Right. You know what I'm saying? And like yeah. that has changed sort of what, you know, the, the sound of the band is, but we, um, yeah, I, I think the sound exploration aspect is where is what we're talking about. Like yeah. I've gotten into drone music, you know, this is stuff that I never listened to growing up. I'd be like, boring, get yeah. to the point. And right. now I'm, maybe I'm just older. I don't. I appreciate it, the subtlety and the nuance more. But I'll listen to drone. I'll listen to noise, um, and, and enjoy it just as much as any other band I might listen to. 
Right. I think we're trying to bring some of everything. And, and unfortunately, like I don't, a lot of people don't know what to make of that, but I guess it's not really like, it's really for us. Sure. Actually, it's for me. It has to be though, in order for it to be honest and to be exuberant and to like display a jubilation uh, of, of love, you know, and, and just being in tune with what it is to fall in love with the sound of music. Right. You kind of have to give yourself over to the idea of like modal jazz where, okay, we're going to play in this key. Here's the beat fucking go. <laughs> if you if you could successfully fall into a pocket like that and create something that other people resonate with, you've you've latched onto something that's elemental to the human spirit. Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're you're right on the money. I mean, I I I don't go to therapy. I probably should. <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> and I don't believe in God, but music is is about as close as I get to either of those things. So, I do I do believe in God, and God is music. <laughs> there you go. I actually I'm looking at a there it is. I'm looking at a sticker right here. I don't know where this came from, but this is funny. Uh, you might not be able to see it. It says God is is sound. Heaven is loud. Yes, <laughs> yes. It was probably just a sticker that came with some merch or whatever, but I love it. Well, the fact of the matter is, is uh, if there's an existence of a higher power or of an omnipotent being, that being would communicate through a universal language. That sure. universal language is sound. Is yeah, or, or, or you could say math, but I mean, frequency, frequencies and waveforms, that's all math anyway. All math anyway, yeah. Absolutely it is. So that only makes sense. Totally. That whatever it is that binds us all together as, as a species, as a culture has a movement and, and, and something that grounds us to what it is to be human and right. what, it, what it is to be human in truth is the idea of, uh, I, I hasten to say love, but it's not really love. It's reciprocity. Yeah. Connection and reciprocity and to connect and to see into one another's spirit. You have to have a resonance. Right. Or a soundtrack. Right. Right. Music. Yeah, totally. It's like breaking the illusion of like individuality or whatever. And yeah. you're, by the way, you're speaking my language. I, I went to school for biological anthropology. So human evolution is, is kind of my bag, at least in, in academia. Yeah. Um, so anytime, you know, you, you bring up like uh, the human species or, or early culture or what, you know, things like that. I'm like, I, I light up. <laughs> oh, especially like taking into consideration what Darwin posited about the human condition, how like, you know, he made it, he made it seem so very uh, elemental where, you know, it's just trying to keep the species on the planet and, and, you know, continuance of, you know, biology, it's more than that. There's something more right. than that. And, right. and what that is, is a harmonious wave of, of, you can call it music. You can call it whatever you like, but mm -hmm. in all honesty, we're trying to perpetuate what it is we find beautiful. Sure. Yeah. And we're trying to reconcile being individuals mm -hmm. and, and essentially every man is an Island 
versus the oneness and the wholeness of the human experience. Yeah. And those, those are very different things, but we experience them simultaneously. So you have to try to reconcile that. And I do think that music is, is a wonderful and perfect way to, to attempt to do that anyway. You know? Yeah. We wouldn't understand women otherwise. <laughs> That's in all, in all reality, because <laughs> as complex as the male or the masculine psyche is concerned, we're not as complex as the feminine. And in my opinion, they deal with a lot more. Right. We'd be fucked. We'd be fucked. With We'd that. be fucked without women. <laughs> Perfectly fucked without women. <laughs> and, you know, this is coming from a man that, you know, I was, I was raised by both my parents. My parents were phenomenal, but True. mostly my mom. And then I have my sisters closest to me in age. And then my daughter, who's older than my, I have a daughter who's 21 and a son who's three. Okay. I hit, I hit the family reset button. Oh, wow. But my, my true and utter understanding of human existence legitimately comes from my closeness with the feminine in sure. my life. My yeah. wife, my mother, my daughter, my sisters, they inform the artist in me almost. Right. I, I relate with that. Um, the men in my family have always been sort of, uh, you know, traditionally, uh, stereotypically shut off emotionally. I'm not that way. No, um, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I articulate, like, I got to get it out of me. I'm an addict. I used to bottle that shit up. Yep, me too. And I got high about it. Yeah. So I've been clean yeah. now for nine years. I actually lost a brother. He, he was unable to express himself. Um, he just wasn't, he didn't have that gift of, of being able to articulate his feelings. And so he's like, my father, they, they bottle it up and um, he used and it ultimately killed him. Um, yep. My dad, he's a, he's a successful uh He's in the medical field. Um, he's a dentist, but um, he's a he's an alcoholic man, and um, yeah. he will never admit it because he he keeps his practice alive and it's very successful. Um, I was an opiate addict. Me too. Uh, you know, so I, I when I got clean, I had to change everything, and part of that was me um, sort of rejecting that. Like, you got to be tough. You got to be a man, and just like. If I feel something, if I feel slighted by somebody, or if I admire somebody, I, t I just tell them, and sometimes it's awkward, sometimes it's weird, you know, but like, yeah. I, get, I get out, and uh, I think I'm better for it, and I think I learned that from my mom, from my sister, from my partner, um, my, me and my partner are like, super, super different, I'm, um, I'm a little quicker, and like, um, more logical i'm very stock like and um she is slow and easy and like just let it unfold why don't yeah. you just see what happens rather than get in there and fix it and you know we butt heads about that but more often than not she's got the right idea yeah she's evening it out uh same, same with my wife and i my wife comes from uh, she grew she's not uh, born there but she grew up in the dominican republic so okay. there's there's an ease of, of, of lifestyle, 
My girlfriend's Puerto Rican, so... <laughs> yeah, even though they would butt heads because Dominicans and Puerto Ricans... <laughs> but in all reality, it's a very similar situation. And, you know, there's that whole idea that life is to be, like, savored and enjoyed. Right. Versus our American and masculine idea of do it now, do it quick, get it over with. Totally. In instant gratification and the opioid addict in me is very fixated on the immediate and and the necessary where like I need this now. I have to yeah. do this now. It's now. Yeah. It's right now. Whereas, yeah. you know, my wife kind of balances me out and allows me to see beyond that self that is so self-obsessed and narcissistic. Right. I'm right there with you. Which is part and parcel to the opioid addict in all reality. Right. Totally. Have you ever read up on um Oh, what is it called? When I first got clean, I actually, it was probably a failed attempt to get clean because I was trying to science the shit. Mm -hmm. uh, I was doing all the research and trying to figure out, you know, how does this work? No, that's not how, that's not, that's not how it works. But uh, it's called incentive salience. You ever heard that term? I've heard of it. I've never studied it. It's pretty obvious. Like it's pretty self-explanatory. Like basically when you get high, that is a massive, massive reward for very little work. Yeah. You, uh, you just got to get money and get dope. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's not always that easy and addiction is a struggle as we both know. Um, but so when you get clean, you got to make your fucking bed. You got to cook for yourself. You got to take care of yourself. And what's the reward? What? I just get to survive, you know, like, yeah. So, yeah. so your brain, it takes a long time, you know, for the, for the structure of your brain, like physically to remodel, and for your gratification, like you're talking about instant gratification, for that to normalize, because now, nine years removed, like, I know that when I fucking put on some music and spend 20 minutes doing the dishes, I'm going to be like, hell yeah, like, my kitchen's so clean, and it's going to feel good. But to an addict, you're like, nah, I can just release a thousand times the chemical I ever should humanly experience at once. And so... No wonder it's so hard to get clean. <laughs> yeah, because all of that dopamine and, and serotonin is just at your disposal with one hit of a plunger. And, right. You know, it, it, Pavlovian as it is, you become attuned to that where, uh, you know, I could either go and do work and, and attain little hits of joy mm -hmm. by doing acts of service versus... Yep. yep okay, I got 50 bucks, I yeah. could get, you know, half a bundle and right. get fucked. Yeah. And, and what, what the thing is, is that, that being of service, the reward is so much more real yeah. and fulfilling. And that's not lip service, you know, like, it's better than dope. Of course it, it la is. It, it lasts long. You know what? You, you, you shoot up and then, you know, in an hour you're sick again or whatever. A couple mm -hmm. hours, I don't even remember. But you do some service and you're feeling good. You're, you're on clouds for a few days. Yeah. So, I mean, like, there, there's that incentive salience. But it takes holding out and getting there. Like, I just, I mentioned to you, I just lost a really close friend. He had four months clean. And I think he was right on the cusp of, like, starting to see those real sort of gifts and rewards of recovery. Mm -hmm. And he, I think what did it, it was, it was the anniversary of his mom's passing. 
And I think it just hurt too much. And he made that decision. Yeah. And that coping, coping mechanisms are the anathema of the addict. Right. Because, okay, like, let's say everything's on an even keel. It's, it's vastly easier to remain sober when life isn't happening at a rapid rate where things that are, are very intrinsic to humanity, like death, um, the ending of relationships and, and going broke and all of these things that you could just get high and get over right. are happening while you're cognizant yep. and you're a raw nerve and you're feeling things at, at a rate that you're not used to because you used to not feel. Exactly. You've been running from it and then there it is. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and that, that lack of a coping mechanism really sets back someone in recovery. Yeah. And, and I think those are the tests and it's sad and it sucks that you lost someone to that. I've lost many people to that. Yeah. Uh, but when you get to that point where you're faced with something like that, uh, uh, the death of someone very close to you, a parent, a sibling, whatever it is, or uh, the end of a relationship. If you can make it over that hurdle without giving in to those baser instincts of, of, yeah. of that, you know, learned coping mechanism of right. getting high. Right. You've won. Yeah. 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 But that's the thing is, I, I, and I haven't been to a meeting in ages, but I think that, I think the phrase is like, you get to a place where you can't imagine life with or without dope. Mm-hmm. And like, I have been there. I think most addicts have because it's like, I can't go on like this, but then you're like, I can't get sick and go to rehab and stay in a ha- Like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like from the perspective of a, of an addict and active addiction, like you cannot imagine being clean because that's yeah. so far removed from what you're doing and what you're used to. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, in, in his case, um, it was that pain, I think, of uh, the loneliness and just that self-doubt and, um, you know, the, those things that, that I would say are universal to all addicts and maybe even all, all people. All people. It yeah. really is universal to all people, but... How are musicians possibly... More so. More so, yes. Because <laughs> we do feel things in a different way. But what does that look like to you being, you know, as far into recovery as you are versus someone who's close to you that's that doesn't have that much of a vested interest, like that much vested entrance, in, uh, excuse me, <laughs> interest into recovery? How do you kind of like get over that hurdle as the person who's kind of deeper into recovery. Right. I mean, I was just telling a friend like, and this is pretty dark, but it's just the reality. Like I lost my brother about five years ago. I lost one best friend a couple of years ago. I just lost Nick. His name is Nick Burke. Uh, he wrote amazing music. I'll link to you. Um, my, uh, that was Wednesday. And we had played a show on Monday of this week uh, under a name called Spiral Rash. That was his little solo project. And he hit me up and was like, will you drum for my demo? Gave me a couple weeks. And I was like, all right, I started listening to it, learned the songs. And it was a great show. It was a big, big success. But um, one thing I know about him and about addicts is like, uh, there was a meme I saw a long time ago where it's like a Venn diagram on one side. It says like, Crippling self-doubt, 
And on the other side, it says like uh, delusions of grandeur. And on yeah. in the center, it says the artist, right? And right. so I, I'll, I'll probably never know, but was which side of it was he on when he made the, the decision to to get high again? I, I don't know, but um, fact of the matter is, he he was one of us. But um, so what that looks like now, moving forward. Um, I just yesterday, me and my buddy Andrew McDougall, who's also in Catholic school, he plays synth. Uh, yeah. He's great. Uh, I've done music with him over the years, and and me, him, and Nick were really close. Um, had a band called Truthers and another one called Cleaners. Um, but we just went to Nick's apartment to figure out what to do with his stuff because he has no family. He lost both his parents. Um, he doesn't, his aunts and uncles don't, didn't have a positive view of him as a person because they just knew that he was, you know, his parents were having such a hard time with him mm. and, and, and they just kind of thought he was just like, you know, that he was just like a junkie or whatever. And, um, but they, they, they could never, they could never see, um, what a great, just beautiful spirit he had and how creative and talented he was. But, because I've been here before and done this before, I had to go crawl through my brother's car that was just smashed like a sardine can um, to find, you know, figure out any clues we could. And I found a straw and I found a coaster with residue on it. And yeah. I had to tell my mom and then there was blood in the car and I had to tell my mom, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get any closer. And when we went to the coroner, I, I had to talk her out of wanting to see the body because he yeah. was a car accident. She didn't need to see that. And now, and, and, and that was five years ago, and now she's like, I'm so glad that that wasn't my last memory. Um, so all that to say, for me, what that looks like is being able to be there for the people who maybe aren't as strong or um, this might affect in some detrimental way. Um, be there for the people who are trying to cope and trying to handle business because it's, it's cruel and it's sad, but it's the reality of death is that there are things you have to take care of and you, you got to deal with the stuff. You got to deal with the body. You got to set up a service if that's, if that's something that's possible. And that's what we're grappling with right now is like, do we as his best friends, like, I mean, his, his aunt wants to, put him in like an un unmarked grave. I guess that's the cheaper option. And we're like, he would have wanted to be cremated. He would yeah. have wanted to be his ashes to be spread somewhere special or divided among his friends and family. You know, it's just, so, I mean, just being able to be present enough to think about all these things and, and weigh and weigh that and consider everyone involved. I mean, there's no way in hell I could have done that when I was using, probably not even a few years ago, but that's yeah. the thing. The longer you stick around, like, you, you know, you, you learn and grow and, and more is revealed. And of course, like this, things like this are never part of the plan, but no. you, there's someone's got to be there. And like, I'm just really lucky and fortunate that I made it through and, that's not to say I'm not an addict because I definitely am, but sure. like, and I, I always will be. And I see glimpses, you know, when I'm fucking eating the crumbs out of a Chex Mix bag 
at three in the morning and I have work at six. I'm like, I'm going to feel like shit. What am I doing? It's like, you're an addict. (laughs) And and thank God that's what it looks like nowadays. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, like I went and got his stuff and I got a box of his cassette tapes, um, for the project we just debuted on Monday. Um, and now I'm like, okay, like he had this whole plan I think it's like 50 tapes. He had this whole plan where he was going to draw an original piece of art for each tape. And for anyone who was interested, he was going to send it to him for 10, 15 bucks, whatever. And, um, well, he's gone. Um, but I have his tapes and I have a box of his art. So it's like, I'm going to just make that shit happen. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. So I just like posted a thing out there into the ether. It's just like, if anybody's interested in, and, and of course a lot of people are because he was a great artist and, um, they, they want to show support and be there and like, um, they want a piece of that, you know, uh, uh to remember him or whatever. So it's, it's cool. That process, that's going to help me grieve. Yeah. Being able to go through his art and be like, God damn, this is so cool. Or this is hilarious. Like, why does this tree have a dog's face? <laughs> you know, like he, he did these, he did these wacky doodles and like, he, he was a, he was like a, you know, one of those Xerox punks where it was all just sloppy and messy and I love it. Cause yeah. I'm so calculated and like most everything I do is like left brained or which, whichever side of the brain is the, is the, the Spock brain. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, he was the opposite. He was, he was, um, off the cuff and, um, actually working with people like him. Um, and just, you know, being, uh, having people like my partner and my mom and all of these people we've talked about, um, have, have helped me to in my band with back to the improvisational aspect of, of what general labor is doing. Like that's, that's not easy for me because I want to know what's happening at all times. Right. You want to be in control. You want to have that ultimate, like just the, the notion that there is yeah. a structure, but the magic happens when you break out of that, and just let it unfold. And sometimes it might suck, but like, that's the beauty of it is everyone in the room, the audience and the band is experiencing that same thing at the same time. When, and when everything happens between the parentheses in, in the structure of a sentence, exactly. that's where the magic is because that's where the uncertainty lies. Right. That's the discovery. Yeah. And you know, uh, Far be it from me to, you know, cast dispersions on the hippies of the world <laughs> who listen to jam bands. Because that music meanders in a way that just is lost on me. Right, there, it, there's a difference. But there is a difference. <laughs> there's a difference between, you know, Ian Mackay and, and Guy Picciotto uh, just going off and allowing the spirits to take over versus, right. you know, fish. Right. Yeah, noodling in in ridiculousness for however long. That's that's a big difference. Oh yeah, Um, you know I I obviously side with the Ian McKaysen Guy Picciotos of the world. Right, exactly. I mean, and 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 hey, I'll I'll give them credit. It's probably coming from the same place, right? They're 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 all searching for that magic in the moment. But like you said, one is just so indulgent in a way that doesn't appeal to me. Mm -hmm. Have you seen those videos or those memes where it's like, this is what fish sounds like to people who don't listen to fish. 
Yes, yes, I have, and it makes total sense to it's me. Because so true, but people um, have been trying to sell that band to me since 1991. <laughs> You're never gonna—it's never gonna work. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I think I've probably made it clear to all my friends that if if they if they were to try, I'd just give them the craziest look, and they'd be like, "Never mind, sorry." <laughs> uh, you know, no offense. Uh, you know, what's 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 interesting is um, it's a little off topic, but. Um, my band, we all listen to totally different types of music. You yeah. can probably pick up on that too. My sure. synth player, Mitch, and my drummer, Elijah, are definitely like so soft boys. That I think that has negative connotations. They're, <laughs> they're, they're into indie rock, and they're into chill, yeah. twangy guitars and slower tempo. Um, my guitar player, Carlos, listens to metal and like... Thank God nobody listens to like fish or pop punk. <laughs> I think that might be a deal breaker, but um, no. So, I mean, part of this too is like, and again, this in the spirit of, of, of creating and exploring as um, me being okay with the songs and the style taking a, a turn or a, a direction I maybe wouldn't have gone with. And um, usually I'm, I like it more. It may take a while, but I usually end up being like, you know what? Like, I would have never thought to do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm for it. I'm behind it because it's new. It's different. You know? And, you know, I can, if I just want to write a song that I am in control of from start to finish in every instrument, I'll do more demos. Yeah. But, like, we're, and it's the same with John. It's the same with John and, and, and the, the difference between the first and, and the second. Yeah. So. Because there's, there is that idea that, exploration has occurred and someone gave themselves over to the idea of what the, the greater art is that's involved versus just, I'm going to do this. Right. And, and, and it loses itself to the mathematics. Right. You know, you, you get beyond that. You get beyond just, okay, I'm going to do this for this many measures. And then this is going to happen versus, all right, I'm going to play off of you. You're going to play off of me. And what we all come up with is going to be the sum of all of its parts. Totally. And, and that's, is it jamming? Yes. Is, <laughs> it, is it jam music? No. No, no. Yeah. It's, it's still got the angst. It's still got the edge. And uh, I would argue it's, it's more difficult to jam and keep it edgy far more difficult than it is to jam and just keep it flowy and free form. I mean, yeah, because you're noodling. It's just like, right. <laughs> I've been to those shows. I only went for the drugs and Fair. I, I can tell you in, in all honesty, I'd never once in however many times I'd gone to these parking lots looking for narcotics <laughs> once I'd made it into these shows, I've never enjoyed myself. Right. Even under the influence because even once I'm under the influence of said substance, uh -huh. it, it becomes even more apparent to me that this is just meaningless garbage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just dribble. You're just, just like, dribble. okay. All right. You know, your scales. Very good. Yeah. Wonderful <laughs> for you. But I, I mean, yeah. you're not, you're not uh, John Coltrane. You're not right. you know, Mingus. You're, come sure. on. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 Let's still, yeah. Talk about jamming. I mean, fuck the, the, the real ones were, were those guys. I the mean, mo the modal jazz, the, the hard bop era. 
Art, Art Blakey. I don't know if you were listening to Art Jazz Messengers. Oh, yeah. Yes, my dad was a jazz drummer. That's, that's okay. my language before I got into punk, even. That okay. was where I came from. Cool. And, you know, the Jazz Messengers and, you know, the idea, even though it's entry-level jazz, Kind of Blue is a wonderful document because you have everybody, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Cannonball Adderley, everyone's on this record. Yeah. And, and when Miles came out, he said, we're going to play in this tempo, in this key, one, two, three, go. Yeah. And you get that. Out. Right, right. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, you, you may know more about this than I do because I'm, like I said, um, my my drummer really is the one who, and my guitar player Carlos too. They're they're way into jazz. Um, they're the ones who bring the noise. Uh, that's that's where we cross over because they're coming from this jazz place. I'm coming from this noise kind of industrial place. Yeah. But there's a lot of crossover there. But um, I think it was him that told me that. Um, he used to just like go to clubs and be like, that's the best drummer I've ever seen. Yeah, he's 17 years old, but come with me, buddy. And I guess that's what a lot of the early jazz dudes did. Yeah. And then they would just put them on the map and just be like, I'll be having some of that. And then bam, names that we're all familiar with now. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're, that's where your Mingus has come from. Like they would play in these uh, open mic night environments. Uh -huh. uh, in these jazz clubs, and someone would just get up and go off. Yeah. And all these guys who were like in the know would all be giving each other the eye, like, okay, this guy, this uh -huh. guy is, we got to watch him, we got to grab yeah. him. And, you know, that's how hard bop, the hard bop era of jazz, which is modal jazz, kind of kicked in because they would find people who were had the ability to fall into the pocket. Yeah. No, no matter what the mode was, like okay, right. we're gonna play this in like, like C sharp, whatever. Right. right, right. This this tuning, and this is the tempo, and here right. we go. One, two, three. Yep. And you can either speak it, or you can kind of speak it, or you can't. Yeah, yeah. And I think all of them become apparent pretty quickly. Sure, because <laughs> it, it's who's remembered and who's not. Right. There you go. And yeah. we're also talking about a group of people who were heavily ensconced in uh, different phases of opioid addiction. A lot of sure. heroin was going on at that point. A lot right. of, you know, just decadence. Right. And even through the haze of that, they were still accomplishing yeah. feats of, of musical grandeur that have yet to be matched. Right. Imagine had they not Right. Given yeah. into their baser instincts, what totally. would have happened? Totally, yeah. Because when you can, you know, I know a lot of artists who are like, who, who like, do still do drugs, and it's like, man, I got to tap in. Yeah. But that's, you're tapping into something that's already there. It's already yours. Um, you know, yeah, you can let the walls down, but you can also learn how to do that mm -hmm. without drugs. Um Yeah, that's, that's why I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. What if you... Because I, I, I would, I guess, initially argue, like, maybe that's what helped them find that place, but... It was like, already theirs. Like you said, yeah, exactly. It's like, Jesus Christ. I can't even imagine. It's like, well, they're like, um... It's like William S. Burroughs or something, too, you know? It's yeah. like the the, the, the writers that, and, and the beats and the, um... 
you know, even even authors I'm into now, like, um, well, I don't I don't imagine Murakami is is into heroin, but no, <laughs> I'm really no. I'm really into like magical realism and surrealist sort of uh, literature. Yeah, and they're tapping into that shit. Kath Koja, great. Uh, have you ever read any of Kath Koja? I haven't. You'll have to send me some recommendations. I, I need to like that's my degree is in English lit. Mm, that, mm-hmm. That's what I'd gone to school for. Okay. But I didn't really need to go to school for it. I was already reading all of this shit. And I was, <laughs> I was a writer before I went to school. I'm a writer okay. now that I'm out. I just <laughs> went because that's what I was interested in. But sure, yeah. Kath Koja, she had uh, in her early time, in her first iteration as an author, went towards the not only the the surrealism, but the the body horror of a David Cronenberg mixed with... Uh, you know, think of some of the, the most prolific body horror and and existential terror authors um, of of the early twentieth century. She kind of encapsulated all of that and wrote true existential horror. Things like um, she wrote an entire novel about um, this couple, and the one was an artist, but they found this room on the floor of their apartment building with a hole in the ground and they called it the fun hole. <laughs> and every time they would reach into it, like something else would happen to their bodies. Whoa. It was detrimental to their health and their lifestyle, yeah. but they, they were so addicted to it that they couldn't stop doing it. Wow. Um, like just the strange, the surreal, the, the, the fantastical, right. Something like that. I, I, will always be drawn to because that's very much like addiction for right. one. And for two, it just, it awakens something else like that's exactly. in, intrinsic to the human condition that, yeah. that ape brain where we're always yep. going to look at the train wreck. We're always going to look at the car accident yep, yep. because we want to know what not to do. Right. And the unknown, I mean, shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, Murakami, uh, uh, which one is it? Um, it's not wind up bird. Uh, Kafka on the shore. Kafka at the on end. the shore. Yeah. But at the end, there's this black slug, mm-hmm. and it's like a fever dream. I, ha- I have trouble recalling the events of the story because it's so surreal in this way that feels like a nightmare that you can't put your finger on it. Fever dream. It's a fever dream. The whole thing, especially yeah. that last that last like twenty pages, is just a barrage of fever dream <laughs> imagery and. Yeah a human being trying to get out of their own way and it doesn't right. happen. Right. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in, in, you know, authors and musicians who are able to tap into that sort of subconscious notion, whatever it may be that they're trying to, to get across. That's it's more effective than being on the nose about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Because you're alluding to something that's legitimately intrinsic to the human condition. Right. And I've, I've heard it like I minored in sociology. So mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff would come up when I, I was at NYU in the early nineties, uh, they would talk like my, my teachers would talk about this, like the ape brain, the, uh, you know, or the reptile brain, the reptilian we're, brain. Yeah. We're always going to subconsciously be drawn to the horrific that's happening on the periphery of our own lives because we need to learn from that. Right. Yeah. 
there's, there's something beneficial to to being curious about that exactly exactly and and does that make us morbid maybe maybe not but in all reality that's that's what it is to be a person right yeah and i think dreams um man this is a really good conversation i didn't know what to expect about this this is great uh, <laughs> <laughs> um i i have this whole theory about dreams like um you know why why would an animal evolve to enter such a deep sleep that you're essentially paralyzed. Okay, so there must be a trade-off there, right? Yeah. We must be learning something in a, while we're asleep, right? I, so, I, I suffer from sleep paralysis syndrome. I've had it before. I, I, when I was a kid, I used to think I was being possessed because my only the only thing I could equate it to was the movie The Exorcist with Linda Blair not being in control of her own body. So we're talking about the early 80s, late 70s. Yeah, yeah. But, but continue because you're right there. You're right on. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I actually used to get, I, I used to get a sleep paralysis, a recurring sleep paralysis dream that there was somebody standing at the foot of my bed loading a gun. And that was just like, it just was something that I had to deal with, but yeah. when I got clean, that that shit kind of went away. I hate that you still you still have to deal with that. It got worse when I got Did clean. It really? It got worse. Oh, because you couldn't cloud it out, huh? Well, I it started, and usually it starts around puberty, um, as far as uh, the experts are concerned. It started when I my first I like memories of being a conscious human being. I remember having sleep paralysis. And it like it, the most recent time was like uh, about like four days ago. Oh wow! Do you lucid dream? Yeah, yeah me I too. Do. Yeah, me I, too. I, I don't. I don't meet many people who do. That took a lot of uh, TM on my part to do it. Yeah, uh, but once I'd gotten into transcendental meditation, then I started to have the ability to kind of guide dreams. But when I'm in one of those specific fugue states which it is a fugue sure. dream, dream state, uh -huh. I, I, I lose control. I'm, I'm no longer in the driver's seat. And right. that's maybe what becomes so disconcerting about it. Okay. It, You're talking you about know, your sleep paralysis? Sleep paralysis versus lucid dreaming. Yeah. Right, because right. I, yeah. I, do try to, I do try to kind of take over uh -huh. and it never works. Yeah. That's tough, man, because you're in your own mind and the rules are different. <laughs> the rules the are rule different. Yeah. Yeah. But uh I'm trying to remember if there's anything else I was going to say about dreams. I I definitely have um since we're kind of on a, a um you know, human evolution sort of theme here um about denial. Mm -hmm. I I think a lot about this um and I'm surprised there's not more literature out there um in the anthropology world or psychology world. Maybe there is and I just don't know, but um you think about becoming sentient and self-aware and aware of your own mortality, mm -hmm. which like, I don't, I, I imagine, I think we're the only species that is aware that we're going to die. Yeah. I guess well, maybe we don't, yeah. maybe, maybe dolphins. I don't fucking know. Maybe some, some dolphins, dolphins only, uh, the only thing that makes them close to us is they fuck for fun <laughs> and they play games and shit. they play games. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so assuming we're the only species that is self-aware, uh, or at least aware of our own mortality. Um, well, why is that? Why is there such a barrier? And to me, it's like, well, that's not a survival advantage. No, it's not. It's <laughs> so, a drawback. So what happened in evolution where we, well, how did we cross that 
threshold. And I think it's denial because we can go, we can carry on in our lives. Just like right now, I'm talking to you. My friend just died. I'm going to die someday. But yeah. I'm not thinking about that every waking second. No. And so I think that's the, that's the, the, the mechanism that, that occurred in, in human evolution where it was like, you know, you're smart enough to know you're going to die, but you're evolved enough to be able to sweep it under the rug. And I think that's why we can have simultaneous conflicting thoughts and feelings and, and ambivalence. And like, because we basically have evolved to, it, we're just, it's the cognitive dissonance, right? It's just yeah. like pervasive to our, to our condition, to our being. That's the, the deus ex machina, the God machine. We, um, we're self-aware enough to know that we're going to die and that everyone around us who we love and care about is going to die. But also we have these delusions that we are the ultimate species. Right. And in all reality, <laughs> things being equal, there are reptilians that can quite easily dispatch us, <laughs> consume us, and not give a shit about it. Right, right. <laughs> like we're cattle. As if, as if we were truly the pinnacle of evolution, when in uh -huh. all reality, there are crocodiles that are fully equipped and can easily yeah. take one of us down, put us in a death roll, eat us, and it's done. over with, and they don't give a shit. No, done deal. There's, there's not a second thought about it. Is this a monkey? Is this a deer? I don't give a fuck. Nope, it's me. It's me. <laughs> so, like, like, who's, who's really the, the, uh, pinnacle species right right and and there's i, I think a, i think i read a, a thing that like in terms of biomass like ants like if you took all the ants in the world and put them in a ball it would weigh more than if you took all the humans in the world and put them in a ball of course that, that's crazy to think about that that hardly makes sense to me well think about it this way too each you know uh hive of ants inhabit one mind where only one of us and uh -huh. have it one mind. Yeah, yeah. We we really struggle to get on that sort of societal, communal, greater good level. Yeah. <laughs> Usually it's for the worse when we do. <laughs> all, actually, always because, <laughs> like, look at socialism and and uh, Sir Thomas More's Utopia as as the birth of uh, socialism, and then Karl Marx. Were they terrible ideas? Fuck no, they were wonderful ideas. Right, right. Do they work on paper? No, because human <laughs> beings are scumbags. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to take care of, ultimately, we're not going to take care of one another. We're going to find the weakest link and predate them. Right. Right. Or exploit them or whatever that looks like. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and what, what does that make us? Yeah. The same thing as that crocodile that. There you go. There you go. Yeah, and I mean God, especially living in the country we live in, and um, late, seeing, stage, late stage capitalism as it's happening, and seeing how everything's being handled, and just the the, the confusion of it all, and the, the intentional confusion of it all. You know, like intentionally divisive, and just like misinformation, and it's like. The, the, at this point, the system is so broken, it's a runaway train. I don't know that anyone is actually in charge anymore. Um, no, no, they're not. I mean, if, if we're looking at, you know, unfortunately, the president, I 
I voted for. And, and I, I, you know, I, I hung a lot of hope on this guy. He jumped in after Trump, and he, what did he do? Yeah. What did he do? I want. I wanted him to champion us. I really yeah. did. I'm. I'm yeah. in a union. I'm. I'm right. very much leftist. I. I don't even like to say liberal. I'm a leftist. Right. And I want to see these ideals of of uh, you know human beings who are dedicated to the greater good of of the least and most of us to be yeah. championed and and. and where did that get me? Right, yeah, few and far between. I think I think I would have loved to see what Bernie could do, but well, Bernie was my number one pick. Yeah. But let's face facts; they were never going to even. No. If he did get party, yeah. The Dem well, yeah, because if you look at when Hillary was uh, in the primaries, Bernie actually won the primaries, mm -hmm. but they silenced that. Right, right. It was her turn. Uh huh. It wasn't her turn. It was Bernie's yeah. turn. It was time for something new. Right, right. Yeah. I wonder if in our lifetime we'll ever see real leadership and change, you know? If we were to see something like that, Bedlam would follow thereafter because <laughs> the upper 1% would never allow us to have a voice in that's all true. reality. And that's where the power lies. And that's where the power lies, not in government or governmental bodies, or the the judicial, or or the Senate. It's really the corporatization and the idea that a corporation could be construed as a, 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 an entity, like you or I. Right. Which tort law? I, I'm getting way too deep now, but no, I'm into it. <laughs> tort law is what made that happen to us, right? The idea that uh, an LLC can be seen as a Corbin or a Peter, you know, like the, yeah. like they're a collective of hundreds of people who just own shares in this idea right. of of a, of a being. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in all reality, they're not a being. They're they're a, a fiduciary entity. Terrifying. Scary as fuck. With, with way more rights than a lot of people in with this world. Way more rights than way, a lot way of people more in this world. And protection and, and backing and support. Yeah. Everything is shit. <laughs> we, we actually like over intellectualized ourselves into a plutocracy based on funding. Yeah, absolutely. How dumb yeah. are we? Yeah, we're, right. We're better off. In the jungles, yeah. just you know, eating what we can lay our hands on, and not, you know, gorging yeah. ourselves because it would slow us down. There was, right. there's something beautiful in the simplicity of of the baser instincts of the species. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, once you once you become sedentary and your population grows, and you need surplus, and you need resources. I mean, that's you're on a fast track to. Well, where where we are today? <laughs> Late stage capitalism. Yeah, because yeah, then you got to go get more resources from them over there to protect yours, and it's just like, yeah, and that that's where the idea of the other or the enemy comes into play. Right. Totally. Yep. When it doesn't really need to be that way, because there's so much surplus. Yeah. And <clears throat> and we're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're all the same, and. Uh, the idea that we can make an enemy out of 
another one of us based on the fact that their house is nicer or they have a better car or they yeah. dress nicer. It just, it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy of, of, of narcissism. Right. You know? Yeah. And I do think that, um, well, I don't know if you want to call it the media or the powers that be or what. I do think that we're often being played against each other. Yes, in, we are. For, for, because, because somebody up there understands human nature. Yeah. You know, and they know that when we're fighting, we can't fight them. We can't pay attention because we're too busy being mad at our neighbor for either having a pro or anti-Trump flag on their front porch right which uh living in pennsylvania which is traditionally a very leftist very democratic state very pro-union state when when the hillary clinton of it all which her family's from this area okay when when she became when she was in in the in the running to become president the state really took a massive turn and you, uh, people who were traditionally centrist Democrats became very active Republic, Trump Republicans. Right. Yeah. You know, what that, that's, they're like the brown shirts when uh, Nazi Germany rose to power. Yeah. They'd started as, you know, like traditionalist communists and yeah. then became the front line of the fourth Reich or right. the third, the third Reich as it were at sure. that point. Yeah. Everything shifts, everything shifts over, uh, uh I guess just, uh, uh, comparatively it's like, yeah. I mean, people call Bernie an extremist, but it's like, he's a punk. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just a punk rocker, man. I mean, he's, he's one of the he's... most people to be okay as possible mm -hmm. like what a radical idea that is yeah like uh, everybody should get health care and some loan forgiveness wow what a prick he's gonna ruin us he's gonna yeah we're gonna be thrown into an upheaval over a kinder and gentler nation state right can't let that happen never <laughs> but we got way off of where we started hey that's <laughs> which is it's fine by me too because that's sure. kind of the way this show operates i don't All know right, yeah have you ever listened to an episode of this before? I watched the one with John, actually. That's the only one. The uh, Listen to it, yeah. There's only one stricture that I hold this show to. One question that I always include. I usually start at the beginning with this question, but we hit the ground running, so I didn't. What is it that terrifies you on an existential level? Hey, first thing pops in my head is death. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about it. I, because I don't necessarily, I mean, I believe in a higher power. I believe in many higher powers, yeah. but, um, I don't believe in a soul. I don't believe in a spirit. I think it's all the brain organ, um, yeah. chemical firing. Um, so I am afraid of death. And even though I'm surrounded by it, uh, as a surviving addict, um, that terrifies the shit out of me. Um, I don't want to die. Uh, I don't want to not know what it's like to be me. I don't remember what I was doing before I was born. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just on that sort of uh, back to the unknown and all of these things, um, that's the biggest fear. That's the biggest unknown is the beyond. Um, 
you know, of course you got the Lynchian, uh, the, the, <laughs> the idea that love is not enough or whatever. Yeah. The, <laughs> the notion that love is not enough. Um, you know, because I, these days I try to, I try to handle my daily goings on and interactions from a place of love and, um, kindness and compassion. And sometimes I get spit on figuratively speaking, like people don't appreciate it. People aren't on that level or, um, so they're not on the same wavelength, whatever you want to say. Um, and it's hard because it's like, it's like, Oh, I, that this is supposed to work. Yeah. But that you're, there's no guarantee. Um, but you know, I, I still know. I, 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 it's not so discouraging that that I'm what I'm just going to turn into an asshole. Um, I mean, I think some of the greatest people are assholes because, like, there's yeah. a big difference between being nice and being kind. You know, like mm-hmm. in the South, people are nice, yeah, to your face, but they're not all, always kind. Often, they're not. They're the opposite. Um, and then it's like, I got, I have friends from up North and like, they'll call you a stupid piece of shit. You dropped your wallet on the subway and I yeah. chase you down. Here's your wallet, you dumbass. And it's yeah. like, that's an act of kindness. Yeah. It, it comes from a place of love. And I can tell you being from the Northeast of the United States, we're, we're pricks, but <laughs> it's, it's not coming from a bad place right. where like, you dumb fuck. What, look at what you did. My, fa- my father, who, you know, his, his dad was born in Poland, would call me a dumb fucking Polak on almost a daily basis. You dumb fucking Polak. Look what you did. And, and we, grew, we grew up speaking Polish in the house. Right. You dumb fucking Polak. Look what you did. And, and that's what it was. But there was no malice. Do you speak? But you speak Polish? A little. A little still. I, I spoke it almost fluently when I was a kid. Okay, never mind. I, I dated a Croatian girl in college, yeah. and I remember one thing she used to say, and I, th- I remember those languages are very similar, but I, I, I doubt that you would. What uh, she, she, say? she used to say, prase. and I never knew what it meant, but she said it enough that it stuck in my head, and it means, uh, I love you, but you're a mean little pig. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what was it? Speak it again, because in pig in Polish is svinia. Tisi slochisto malo prase. I think prase. Yeah, is that, 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 they're not bad, bad, bad pig malo prase. Anyway, yeah. that was a random thing. <laughs> in, in Polish, a, a stupid pig, a stupid pig is a pasgudny svinia. <laughs> it has so the same effect. It has the same effect because it's got that Slavic tongue, that very. <clears throat> just it has a violence oh, yeah. to its to its yeah. uh, tone, you know. It's like inherently acerbic or something. Yeah, <laughs> not as much as German. Not no, not as much as German because I mean, pig in German is feinen, schweinen. Like it just <laughs> it, it cuts even deeper than the right. Polish or the Slavic tongues. But there's just something very severe about about those languages they're not very romantic <laughs> I, I agree and it never sounded like a pet name to me no no nor should it have <laughs> <laughs> she swore it was <laughs> oh I, and and in all reality it most likely was right. but um even my name in polish sounds severe 
you know, Peter in on my birth certificate is Piot. Oh, P I O T R. P I O T R. Piot. Yeah. Have you ever? Uh, are you familiar with a, a uh, stop motion animator, uh, Peter Comler? Peter Comler. Yeah. yeah. Nobody knows what yeah. that shit is. Awesome. That was <laughs> when I was in college. We. Um, 81, 84, something like that. Something like that. We had, uh, you know, uh, I'd taken classes in, in filmmaking uh, as m just a minor, just to fill credits. But that came up, and these two brothers who had also been like, uh, what the guy from Tool, who's uh, an animator as well. Oh, yeah, what's it? I, uh, Alex? A Adam. Adam's Alex something. Adam something. Ray? gray maybe anyway yeah. he's a great animator as well but he took a lot of his ideas from these two uh twin brothers who also did oh, the, quay, the, quay, the quay brothers yeah the quay brothers that's it that's it i already know and and all of that kind of got shown to us uh in in freshman and sophomore years just cool. as, as examples of great animation right so yeah i mean i'm very familiar with that yeah rules yeah um yeah, we general labor. Back to back to music. Uh, yeah. we we actually did a uh, a. It was at this uh, uh, video rental store that we're fortunate enough to have here called Black Lodge. Uh, you know, named after Twin Peaks or whatever. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's still a DVD rental store, and they are booming. They're doing great. Uh, I'm I'm super happy that um, they've managed to make a comeback in the in the streaming age. Yeah. Um, but when the pandemic hit and shows got shut down, that place was like, we just built this massive spot. There's this big stage. There's a huge projector screen, lighting rig and sound. And they were just like, well, great. You know, like this was going to be our income. So they put on some, some streaming shows and general labor actually did a set, like a 25 minute set to a section of uh, Chronopolis. That's amazing. I think it's online. I'll send it to you. Yeah, please do because that like there was a time period where I well, it hasn't stopped actually, but my love and adoration of Italian horror filmmakers was Argento. Argento. Okay? Oh yeah. And our, uh, there was I forget the album now, but it's Goblin did the soundtrack to many Argento films. I no. want to say it's Suspiria where he's saying witch. Yeah, witch. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That Goblin soundtrack to Suspiria. There's so many nuances too. And although it can be construed as, as prog rock uh -huh. in all actuality, it's classical music with electric guitars and drums. Right. Uh, that always moved me in the idea of, of, of playing along to cinema. Yeah. Like, uh, what's it? Uh, David Glass. Right, right. He did an alternate soundtrack to uh, uh, Nosferatu by Murnau. Uh-huh. I'm familiar. The idea of, of, you know, giving a different life to a piece yeah. of cinema with music, just, it's, it's wonderful to me. So, I wish so, I would. I wish I had the wherewithal to do it. So we, uh, my band, just did that. Actually, I don't know if John told you or if you. If you you did. It. You I did. did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was last Thursday. So much has happened in a week. 
Mm-hmm. So we did a film score for The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. We shifted gears from the punk stuff and we did totally electronic. I mean, a lot of it was improvisational. A lot of it was noise and ambient. Um, we did some Mickey Mousing, which is a term that John f- made me familiar with. And when he first said, he was like, are y'all Mickey Mousing this shit? And I was like, what is that supposed to mean, dude? No, we're taking it seriously. But he was like, that's a term that means you, you compose to the action. Yeah, and, and yeah. so <laughs> it, was equal, it was equal parts um, composing per what was happening on screen, and just getting lost in it, and letting the sound kind of dictate the audience's like uh, the way that they're sort of taking it in. Um, that was a beautiful experience, man. Um, I've never done anything of that magnitude. Um, it was in a theater, you know, with. Maybe 200, I think they said 200, around 200 plus uh, in ticket sales. You know, I've played for 7,500 people. Uh, when when General Labor opened for Black Marble um, and Automatic, which was a really cool show, there was maybe 100 people there, but this was a different animal. Um, we were up there, each of us had a whole station semicircled around us, and we're staring at the screen that's 30 feet tall, 40 feet wide. And we're only a few feet away from it. So you're like, oh, this is that part where, okay. <laughs> and like, it was interesting, but dude, it went so smooth. And um, our backs were to the audience. So we scored this whole 65 minutes of continuous music. Um, and then the credits roll and we kept jamming. And then um, I kind of just looked around and we went one, two, three, four. And I pulled my faders down. And the lights went on and I turned around and the place erupted and I've never felt that before in my life. I mean, it was, the setup was a goddamn headache. Yeah. And then, you know, the show was at 7.30. We got there at four and we didn't leave until probably 10.30 or 11. So like, you know, comparatively to a punk show, it was a nightmare and all the gear, but uh, the reward was insane. I've just like, I've I've never felt that love. And what's cool is that I think people didn't know who punk general labor was. Yeah. But, but a lot of people came to that score and now there's a lot of interest in what we do outside of that. And I'm finding that like the plays and like the turnout for, for shows, or at least the interest in shows and the follows and all the shit, like, has take, has weirdly done this, and it's like, I don't know if y'all are ready for this other shit that we do. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. But what's kind of incredible about that, uh, and the idea of doing something like that, is someone like Goblin, where outside of doing soundtracks for Argento, or I, I think to a lesser degree they'd done one or two uh, Fulci films as well. They also were like a, a, an Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, King Crimson style prog rock band uh-huh. in their own right. Sure. And, and did find a modicum of success in that stricture, but they never had the same kind of success as they had scoring film. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen them. I've seen Goblin. You, you kind of have to imagine that the the real like uplift for them is to perform to a group of people who are seeing them just on stage versus seeing the spectacle of film totally, and the music behind it. But I can also say with a great amount of certainty that I've never done anything quite like what you've just done 
and I would I would love to know what that felt like. <laughs> it was incredible, man. A um, lot of preparation went into that. Um, a lot of it, not to um, not to be like resent sound resentful, but a lot of it um, was kind of my passion. It, like it, it became my passion project. It mm. became an obsession for me. Where from the time Crosstown Concourse uh, asked us to do it, uh, they they well so the the girl who booked it was at one of our shows at like a dive bar, so she knew what we sounded like and thought these guys would be good for some sort of weird film, art film or whatever. We didn't yet know what it was going to be. Um, I don't think she anticipated us just going totally off the fucking wall with it in terms of <laughs> linking our gear and, and just totally changing direction. But I think it, it, it worked out for the best, and I'm glad that we were... We were so ambitious about it, but for a couple months, it was—it really did just look like me unable to sleep watching this film that I had never seen before over and over and just composing and writing and, and linking gear, seeing what worked. And um, only until about two, three weeks before the show was it like, all right, you know, like, let's, let's get on the same page here. Yeah. And um, it turned out there was sort of a miscommunication. Like they thought that I wanted it that way, but really I was just doing things in lieu of anyone else doing anything. Uh, and I know I sound a little bit salty, but uh, it all worked out for the best because I had about 12 or 13 sequences for various acts of the film. Some of them got cut and at first it was hard to let go of because they were my babies, like we were talking about earlier. Sure. But as they started writing and, re and realizing how rewarding and how much fun it was to do that, because it's different than just writing a song, yeah. um, they really got into it. And even though it was just a few weeks before the thing, they hit the ground running, and then we were able to say, oh, if you're going to do that, and then the next act is this one, we can have something that, and that's where their theory comes in. It's like, oh, that was in a C sharp and this next one is in A. Like, how can we get there? And um, they sort of would cover that transitional stuff. And then me and Carlos, who are the self-taught jazz kind of just punk guys, yeah. we just got to groove and kind of just float. And then, all right, here we are. And we've arrived into act five or whatever. And it was, dude, it, there's nothing like it. It's something I've, I had dreamed of doing for a long time um, and just never had the opportunity to do. Um, I have a lot of filmmaker friends who have been like, really dig what you're doing with General Labor. Like, you should score a short film for me. And I'm always like, yeah, let's go. And that, that just never happened. Yeah. But I think, I think them asking me to do that really uh, sparked this fire of like, wanting to do it and, and, and watching movies like Suspiria. Yeah. And, um, what's, what's that? It's a tri It's a French trilogy, blue, red, white. Does that ring a bell? Uh, boy, are, are we talking about uh, the three sisters films? No, it's not Argento. Okay. It's, uh, hmm. it's, it's called blue. Uh, anyway, anyway, the, the, my only point was that like films with beautiful scores. And I'll send you the, I'll send you like a, a reference later, but um, 
so I just was watching movies. How, how do they do it? How do the greats do it? Mm-hmm. Um, I watched in 1984, you know, the Orwell adaptation. Um, I had never seen it before. The score is brilliant. I would have never thought it was very experimental and like noisy. And so I just started paying attention to these things and um, it, it, it couldn't have gone better. Like, honestly, I feel like that was one of the, one of the best examples in my life of hard work pays off. And like, it's not all shit. (laughs) Like sometimes things do happen in a way that just feels magical and like there's purpose and there's meaning and i know that's i'm getting very like grandiose with it but that's how it felt man um it it felt like everything just worked out how it was supposed to and um you know barring divine intervention it it, our hard work really just kind of paid off and um that's one of those things those one of those fugue states that you can only really reach via music exactly back to what we were talking about at the beginning exactly there's there's something about you know and even though as mathematical an equation a song can be in all reality you're inhabiting a space that uh is in flux at all times and depends upon you know what emotion you're trying to convey no matter how concrete your ability is Right. What you're feeling is really dictating mm-hmm. what is happening through your hands into that instrument and yeah. into the oral, uh, you know, arena. Right. Sure. So once you reach that point, I mean, to me, that is divinity. That is the, the, the transcendence of, of the human spirit into something other than just this is my flesh. This is what I'm bound to. You're putting something else out there into the ether. It, and to me, that is the language of whatever God or, or Godhead or idea yep. of divinity anyone could possibly have. I'm with you. And, it, was, and, it was a spiritual experience. It, it, as well, it should be because the, you can't move another human being in quite that way with any other device. Right, right. And what, what's interesting is like the Adventures of Prince Ahmed, it, it's, it's, it's stop motion, it's paper cutouts. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of depth. It's two-dimensional. I mean, th- this woman, Lottie Reiniger, uh, this was uh, Germany, 1926. Uh, she actually was trying to flee Germany. And they were like, tr- because she was like one of few animators at the time, as you can imagine, um, mm-hmm. they were trying to get her to make propaganda shit. Yeah. So she was trying to get out of there. And her boss, this guy, Carl Koch, I think is his name, K-O-S-C-H. Anyway, um, he bought up all this film and was like, the propaganda machine is about to fucking do its thing and there's going to be yeah. no film. And uh, he ended up having all this spare film and was like, do you want to make a full length animated movie? And she was like, no way. Because the amount of work to just make a short that says, welcome to the theater or whatever she was doing, um, so much work. But she ended up doing it. And I, it's, it's an artistic feat for the ages. I mean, like, now we have computers and we can, we can emulate that sort of thing. But, um, you know, when you got people like uh, 
Miyazaki and, and all that who hand draw their stuff, but uh, an early anime, 90s, 80s, 90s anime. But um, few and far between these days where it's all done by hand. Um, and she was, I guess, one of the first to do it. And the film is a little bit problematic at times. There's a lot of caricatures, um, which was a thing that we like talked across town about. And they were like, we'll make sure and have our disclaimer. It's nothing too horrendous, but like culturally insensitive. I mean, the thing was made yeah. in 1926. But so we, with that in mind, we tried to um, compose the score so that those elements weren't the focus. Um, and it, a lot of times it felt like we were doing this sleight of hand thing. Like, don't pay attention to, to how stereotypical that particular character looks. Yeah. But uh, people said, like, yeah, there was, that was odd to see. But, like, you, what you guys were doing made it beautiful again. And, and that was, so I, I think we, we did it justice in, in, in that way. Um, and, and it's like a, like a plot device in the 1920s or 30s it's obviously going to have some insensitivities as far right. as culture is concerned. Right. And, I mean, we're in a nation right now where birth of a nation <laughs> happened. Right. And as much of a technical marvel as some of the aspects of this film are concerned, it's still utterly a piece of hate propaganda. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. So in order to elevate it into the stratosphere of art versus vulgarianism, you uh -huh. have you have to kind of give something else to it. Yeah. So uh, if if you could, you know, bring that transcendence via music, you're you're really just lending a different spirit to that film. Totally. That point, exactly. You know? Yep. Exactly like you said, and. Um, you know, I, I don't think that the takeaway, you know, if I were to take a poll, I don't think that people were like, oh, it was, it was so offensive. I think they would have, they would say that was fucking moving, you know, that moved yeah. me. And a lot of people did. And uh, we were overwhelmed with the love and support. And um, it's going to be interesting moving forward, kind of returning back to punk general labor, uh, how we're received, but I'm not too worried about it. You know, we're going to keep that spirit going. It'll just sound a little different. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and like, obviously you have a lot of champions, uh, as far as the punk leanings of general labor are concerned, because, you know, you're not too far from my consciousness because I have people like John constantly uh -huh. kind of like, <laughs> dude, wait till you hear this. Because, you know, I'm still, I still play in a hardcore band. I'm going to be 46 in a month and I still sing for a hardcore band. There's still something in me that, that feels that that form has something to offer the greater consciousness Absolutely. And, and the greater zeitgeist. So I still do it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're bringing your flavor to punk rock is, is refreshing because you're capable of doing something in that milieu and also scoring film and yeah. also like elevating other forms yeah. while still existing in a construct that makes just straight up punk rock music. Right. Yeah. There, there's something to be said about that. And I, I don't know if 
people of this generation coming up the in their teens, 20s, yeah. even early 30s really understand how malleable and flexible a form punk rock could truly be. Right. Absolutely. Because we have examples of, of punk bands kind of pushing the envelope of the form as far back as The Clash. Right. My first concert was The Clash opening for The Who. Wow. The Clash went from their first album, which is very much just an incendiary fuck you punk rock record, uh -huh. and then move onward and onward to A London Calling, which is, in all honesty, still a punk record, but quite possibly one of the greatest classic rock albums ever written. Totally, yeah. I would agree with that. You know, I, I, you can accomplish so much with so little. Yeah. Brian Wilson has shown us that. Yeah. Via the Beach Boys. Uh, the Beatles have shown us that. The Stones, The Doors, they're so, like Iggy and the Stooges. There's yeah. so many examples of just rock and roll in general. Right. Trans transcending its own uh, uh, physical and talent yeah. limitations and becoming something like the air we breathe intrinsic yeah. to life itself. Right. Redefining itself over and over again, being reborn over and over again. And you can only do that by being original and being true to yourself. And, um, you know, I've been in projects where it's like, what do we want to sound like, you know? And like, whether we did a good job of that, I don't know. I don't even remember, but like nothing is more rewarding than going, I don't even know what this is going to sound like. Yeah. Let's work on it. You know, um, the best so, music I ever made never came from saying, here's what I want to sound like. It right. always came from, here's what I don't want to sound like. Yeah. Here's what I don't want to do. I don't right. want to do this. I don't want to do that. Repeat myself. And, and you know, it seems like a, a very, very daunting stricture, but in all honesty, that just cuts the fat away. Right. It allows you to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately. The possibilities open up again once you eliminate, well, I don't want you to noodle on guitar for three minutes. Exactly. Yeah. So what can yeah. you do with yeah. the bridge now? You can do so much more. Um, but yeah, I, the sound exploration, that's not going anywhere. Um, and I really, really hope that we can. Um, get some recordings going soon that reflect what we're doing at present um, that aren't just like John and friends coming to our shows, taking videos. Um, yeah. Because again, it has been so uh, um, show centric, performative based. Um, and so now it's like the September, I don't have any shows. I might have a show book like next week, like September 3rd. I think we have a show, yeah. but um after that, we are going to record, and however that comes out, I mean, I'm hopeful. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited, but I really kind of don't know. Yeah, what that's gonna. It, the songs may change, take on a new form, but that's exciting. It's as it should be. Did John bring up to you that in in the uh, you know, walls of this, of this podcast and the season of shows I'm doing that. I'm also doing a compilation record of all of the bands I've interviewed. 
he said something about that and I wasn't really sure what that entailed or what, or what that really meant. I just, what that I, really means is, is, uh, you know, as long as it's something that doesn't exist outside of the confines of that compilation where, okay, you know, unreleased live, whatever it may be. Okay. But when I posited the idea of doing this, number one, John was like, yes, Catholic school will absolutely give you something for this compilation. Mm -hmm. And the first group of musicians outside of Catholic school that came up was general labor. <laughs> and he's like, listen, you're going to love this band. You're going to love what they're all about. Why don't you ask them? He said, I'll get, I'll reach out and, and get Corbin to be on the show and then let it happen from there. But I think they would be a great inclusion. And just from what I've heard and seen and, and, what happened in, you know, the, the walls of this conversation, it would yeah. only make sense that you, like you would be involved in that. In oh, my I'm so down hundred percent. If, uh, you know, hopefully these recordings won't take long and that won't hold you up, but I am, I am so down. You're not holding me up. I mean, in all honesty, I don't even see, uh, anything happening uh, outside of the collection of songs from, all of the said artists huh. involved in this season by like November. Sure. Yeah. Okay. You know what well, I mean? That gives us plenty of time, man. Uh, yeah. That, that's our next order of business. So uh, the, we couldn't have done this at a better time. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad this went down yeah. the way it did too. Because yeah. Yeah. Following the score, following the show last night and my buddy passing, I, I think this was a, a really helpful conversation actually for me. So I, I, I appreciate you having me on. I can't, I can't believe how well you're handling it though, because I, uh, are you familiar with the hardcore band Bane at all? I know the name. I don't think I've listened to them actively. Um, my best friend, uh, died at a Bane show. He had a, a heart murmur oh, and God. we all went out to the show and he and I had some issues between us. And we put them aside. We're just, okay, we're all like in our thirties. We're going to go out to this hardcore show and relive our youth and say, fuck it to whatever. Right. And he died there in, in the middle of a song and he's, uh, he was dancing and he dropped and Bane wrote a song about Hans, my friend. Wow. Um, and to me, the idea that he can, this person that I, I was so close to, could be immortalized in music just reinvigorated the idea that music can be that transformative and that that uh important yeah you know what i'm saying so absolutely losing people yes it's very difficult it's it's brutal but once it it find once that human spirit finds another life in another person's song it, it becomes something else it becomes uh immortal Right. No matter what you believe spiritually or, or religiously or irreligiously. Sure, yeah. To, to put someone's life into that sort of context makes them immortal. Right, yeah. So I, I think you're, you're kind of put in a space where you can immortalize these yeah. people that you've lost just as I have. Right, totally. And I, I, it's, that's, that's been part of this, you know, um, 
mu- without music, Lord knows, I- I'd be a sick puppy. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I am, but uh, I have the outlet of music and aggressive yeah. music at that. Um, but not always, because you know we're 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 very dynamic, uh, multifaceted animals, and uh, and it and it. I think my band's music reflects that. I think music should reflect that. Um, and you know, there is a song. It's the second one on um, the the video that John showed you. It's called mm-hmm. Asylum. It's one mm-hmm. of the ones I really want to record. Um, but it's really it's about mostly my brother. But of course, having lost Nick recently, it's like I think about him now um, when I think about that song and. And and just like you said, like I'll probably always equate him and and what he brought to this world with that song, and and then of course his music that he he's I mean he was a prolific writer, man. He had at least eight nine different band names, but they were all him. Yeah, maybe a few people helping him out here and there, but he he was just like, he was like John. He could just crank them out, and they were all good. And um, yeah, I I, I would. Music has done that for me thus far, and I imagine it's going to continue to. Um, and I'm sure this won't be the last person I lose, unfortunately. But uh, no, and and that's you know the unfortunate aspect of being a human. Uh, those that we love, cherish, or are like even in a very very offhanded way are a part of their lives. Uh, they're fallible their their lives are tenuous we none of us live forever right you know so loss is going to be a major part of human relationships yep it sucks it hurts uh, the first girl i ever loved died of a heroin overdose when uh, when we were in high school you yeah. know because this part of pennsylvania especially the opioid crisis mm-hmm. It was a big part of the nineties, right? But she's been immortalized in a few songs. Yeah. My friend who didn't do drugs, Hans, he just had a weird heart murmur and died at a hardcore show. Oh, wait, man. You know, like that's, he's been immortalized. We've written music about him. He's, he's still an intrinsic part of, you know, the zeitgeist of our own, uh, groups of friends. Right these things unfortunately happen to us because that is the state of the human being experience. Yeah. We're Life necessitates death and there's nothing we can do about it. But no. um, the ones that, that are able to keep, keep on keeping on, I guess you just have to um, make it mean find, something. Find, make it, make it mean something and find, find ways to, yeah, exactly. Provide that meaning. Uh, I was just texting with somebody, another friend of Nick's. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Tom Robbins. Yeah, but, um, yes, I am. I, I don't know if he said this originally, but this this has been ringing in my ears. Um, uh, nothing matters. Everything is sacred. Everything matters. Nothing is sacred. Yeah. It's just this circular idea that, that I just... I, I, I'm obsessed with that idea right now, and and I think it's appropriate because whatever your perspective, I mean, like we're all here together, and there's no there's no manual, no there's no instruction manual on on how to live, on how to grieve, uh, human relationships, 
uh, how to pay, be a parent to, to, to it, it, none of it. And so it's like, that's, that's the shared experience, man. Um, I'm just glad that there's music and there's an outlet for, you know, when times are good, but, but for me, it's, it's mostly an outlet for those things, those dark things that, um, are sometimes nameless and sometimes not. Um, that's the pressure gauge when you're letting, you're letting off the pressure gauge. You're just, okay, I can't handle this anymore. Put it in the song. Yeah. Those PSIs are, are, are left off the head pressure. So yeah. you can continue to the next thing and then you have to let that pressure off again. That's the way I see it. Like, uh, and as a, you know, in my day to day, I'm a plumber. So I, I equate it to that. Like, you know, there's too, there's too many PSIs in the vessel. It's going to explode if you don't <laughs> let it off. Right. It's the same with the psyche, with, with yeah. the human spirit. You have to allow that which takes up too much negative space to escape. Otherwise, it can destroy the whole system. Yep. And that, that's why it's been so important to me in my recovery and in my life in general. Um, it allows you to deal with those things um, and let, yeah, let, let get, get the PSI levels down, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You can't let it, you can't let it over inflate and destroy the whole vessel. Right. Right. I'll implode if I do. I mean, God, I went on a family vacation and uh, didn't think to bring a guitar or anything. Oh, and wow. Jesus, I was a, I was an irritable bastard. Where do I put my hands? Where, uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yep. <laughs> sometimes you just need to busy yourself yeah. subconsciously you know just give me a keyboard give me a guitar a bass i don't care what it is yeah just something to allow that negativity that kind of like builds in a reserve if you can't let off a few psis of it yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to it's going to explode it's going yeah. to explode. Right. And so. Yeah. That's why I did the show last night, even though I, there was a lot on my mind. Yeah. I had just gone through my best friend's apartment and, you know, it's like, it's just telling somebody like, if he had said, Hey, do you want this total control shirt? I would have been like, fuck yeah. yeah. But I didn't want to come. I didn't want to come into possession the way that I did. But right. That, again, again, I guess my point is that's why I played the show. That's why I did the podcast because I'm just trying to stay busy and, and be productive and be positive because what else can you do? You, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say like, if you're not moving forward, you're backsliding or whatever, but right. like, you know, it, it certainly doesn't hurt to try to keep moving forward. <laughs> no. And it doesn't hurt to try to, you know, kind of like call out to the ether like, here's what I'm feeling. Right. Here's what's happening to me right now. Does anybody, is anyone there? Does anyone yeah. care? <laughs> uh, you know, the, is the, does anyone see what I see? Not to quote a very famous hardcore song, but in all reality, <laughs> that's what it is. Sure. You know, like, am I the only one feeling this way? And of course you're not. Right. And no matter what you come up with as far as, as, as a happenstance, whatever, is occurring in your life. Someone else has probably felt the way you feel and seen the things you, you've seen. So yeah. why not 
instead of just internalizing it and allowing that to fester, yeah, put it out there. Right. See what reverberates back to you. Mm-hmm. More likely than not, someone else is going to be like, hey, I've been there. Right. Right. I may not have advice for you, but I've been there and yeah. I know how you feel and I'm sorry you feel that way. And sometimes that's just enough. Yeah. Just, just being able to relate and know that you're not alone. Yeah. I mean, you know, case in point, uh, um, you know, this podcast, I, I know John Christie's story and um, you've told me little things here and there. I don't know your story, but I know you understand just based on this conversation that we're having. Yeah. And I imagine that, um, and I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to it some more because um, I imagine there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of common uh, shared experience among among yeah. the, the the guests you have on uh, surprisingly more than you would think too because like the uh <clears throat> you know the precept of the show was never uh about addiction per se but uh-huh. the fact that i am in recovery i draw like people to myself and True. it just seems to me that Nine times out of ten, whomever I interview has an issue, right? Has a, a past that's steeped in addiction or or obsession, but mostly that obsession is the obsession of addiction, right? And it comes to pass uh, within the context of the show, right? And I've been, I have legitimately been in some form of addiction or recovery since I was thirteen years old. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, I think it's around the same for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm only 34, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's about the time I started to. My dad had a, a, a clutch of expired quaaludes and I used to, I, I had found a generic ibuprofen that looked very similar. You just swapped them out. And I used to swap them out and just eat them up and keep myself awake and the magic of quaaludes was if you can keep yourself awake long enough, they stop being a sedative and start being a euphoric. Sure, yeah. So that was my first taste of, of uh, chemical alteration of the psyche. And, you know, it kind of continued from there. I didn't jump headlong into opioids directly thereafter, but they did find their way in before I was out of high school. Right. So the obsession of addiction found its its apex when I was very young. Right, right. Yeah. And I've, as I'd said, been in some form of addiction or recovery since that time period. And a lot of people would consider that uh, a handicap almost in, in, in uh, my personality. But the way I feel about it, is it gives me a great vantage point to not only judge other human beings as far as like, you know, seeing past their issues and the problems with their own psyches to see what that person really is about. But it also allows me an empathy to uh, find reciprocity with any sort of person, no matter what they've been through, what they've done. I mean, I'm, I'm an incest survivor as well. And that kind of, uh, it does, it allows me to welcome 
people who who may be embarrassed about their own right issues as 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 an emotional human being and give them a safe space to uh, be their sounding board. Yeah, well, it's I'm I'm super glad that you're doing this podcast because I'm sure that you've helped a lot of people uh, for that for that very reason. You know, uh, addicts. We're we're all of an ilk, and um, yeah. certainly trauma and abuse and incest survivors. That's that's a whole different, you know, arena. But it's, it's like, all it's all the same, though. Yeah, it's it's deep seated. Um, you know, yeah, because what is addiction but not self induced trauma, right? It, I mean, that's God, exactly the, what it is. The shit that I've seen that I put and I put myself in that position. Like I could say that I, you know. It, it's it, that's some real trauma. It doesn't matter whether I put myself there or not. No, it doesn't. It's it's just trauma. It's just yeah. something that that hobbles you as an emotional human being, as a creature. Right. You yeah. know. So, it, call it victimization. Call it whatever. It's just the. Uh, it's that negativity that that confestoon in the human soul. Right. That that you can either choose to slough off or allow it to infest you right is is there a a, a, a tipping point yes but i i haven't i haven't found it the only thing i know for sure is finding like people to mm-hmm. call me out on my bullshit via 12-step programs has been beneficial to uh my survival and my uh, evolution as an emotional creature yeah i've had the same experience i i um i i said earlier i don't really go to meetings but 12-step program saved my life i can i can say that with confidence um because i didn't have any conception of how to to live life uh unfiltered you know without hiding and, and and numbing and um there it's like we, you know, it, it's it's in place. Yeah. And it, it, they've 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 gotten millions um, of people clean and sober, and allow them to live happy lives. And um, so, yeah, when I'm, you know, completely broken and skin and bone, crawling out of the jail cell, and they say, "Drug court," or do you want to go back downstairs? Well, that decision was made for different reasons. I don't want to sure. go back downstairs. But yeah. since I was introduced to uh, to NA and, and 12-step program, I mean, like, that's when things started to change for me. And I'm, it might have been begrudging and kicking and screaming at times. Um, it doesn't matter how you get there, though. It doesn't. And, and luckily for me, the fear of, of prison, like, I'm, you know, I don't know who's cut out for it. Some people, I guess, are. I, I just... Not this guy. <laughs> I suffered. I really suffered there. Yeah. And it was only about a month, but Jesus, um, I, I, I was fight or flight for that whole month. Of course you were. I was incarcerated for the first and only time when I was 16 going on 17 uh-huh. and it had nothing to do with narcotics. It had everything to do with violence and, uh, you can even, one can even argue that the violence I had taken part in, uh, had some merit because I did. I did uh, <laughs> run over a Nazi skinhead with my car, hey, I and he was a fucking—he was a scumbag, fucking Nazi. But was sure. it was it my place 
to imperil another human being no matter what they felt in their hearts. Oh, God, that is a tough one. It's a fucking tough one, right? <laughs> yeah. But, I'm, I mean, in my soul, I feel that I was probably in the right, but I shouldn't have sure. executed in quite that way. Sure. Because who's to say that person couldn't change their mind in three years? Right, right. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And that's a perspective that I'm sure... It comes with age. It took you some experience and some, some retrospective sort of, yeah, contemplation. Yeah, yeah, because 16-year-old me, gun him down. Get yeah, him. fuck him. <laughs> yeah, fuck him. But 40, almost 46-year-old me, 30 years later. <sighs> you know that people can change and that there's always room for reconciliation, yeah. I have too many examples of people who did change from being just like that. And, you know, I'm in, I have a son and am married to a black woman. We have an interracial son. Mm -hmm. We do still in this day and age, see some bigotry yeah. leveled at us. And the 16 year old version of me wants to go and oh, yeah. do some fucked up shit to them. But me in my 40s, I, I just see them as weak. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's hard. It's hard to get there. Yeah. I have a short fuse, so I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hoping that, that I can get there. I, I've made tremendous progress in nine years clean, but like um, I, they, uh, some of my friends call me the pop-off king. Yeah. I will pop the fuck off. Mm -hmm. Because if, so, if something just, if somebody steps on me or fucking is disrespectful to somebody I care about, I want them to know that and I want them to regret it. But yeah. that's, maybe that's not my job. You know, they, they will learn. They will it's, learn. And the, the or they'll up, just be miserable. The fucked up thing is it's not either of our jobs, even though it feels like it should be. Yeah. And if you look at uh, just the, the bald face of morality that begs you to be the mouthpiece for it, right? Yeah. But in actuality, it's so out of our hands. Yeah. And I, I hear my mom's voice, you know, like she's, I, I was raised church of Christ. So, um, mm -hmm. and they, they have since moved away from that particular denomination. But, um, I hear her voice saying, you know, see the good in people and, uh, you, you, you know, everyone's capable of change and, and mending their ways. And there's so much truth to that, whether it's coming from a, Christian biblical place or, or a recovery based yeah. place. Reconciliation is, is, is there to be had, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's difficult. It's a difficult undertaking to, right. to take that, uh, that frame of reference and adopt it. Right. Especially coming from a punk rock background and having that set of morals kind of ingrained in you where, all right, he's got a swastika tattooed on his forehead. That means I'm supposed to punch. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, like it, it, it's all very simple, but there's so much nuance involved where like you walk up to someone who's like, the, let's take, for example, the whole Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. marches uh during the covid lockdown yeah 
one video comes to mind specifically where a gentleman of color approached a Nazi skinhead who was marching in, uh, yeah. counter to Black Lives Matter. Right. And he said, listen, man, what? I don't hate you. Why do you hate me? Right. That guy had no answer to that question. That's more powerful than a sucker punch. And he said to him, can I hug you? Because I love you, even though you hate me. And the guy let him hug him. Oh. Guess who's going to think about that tomorrow? Right. Yeah. N not the person who got punched in the face. The person who got hugged exactly. by the person that they feel is their they, antithesis. They think they hate or yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah, but they're just aimless. Or it's like MLK, you know, dark darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. Yeah, yep. Even Martin, uh, even Martin Luther King always espoused that, but even Malcolm X, who started yeah. out as being militant, eventually came to that same idea of passive resistance. And, yeah. and you know, like maybe being an extremist isn't, really the right way to win the hearts and minds of sure. others and i'm sure that felt like some sort of resignation you know but like Probably, yeah but goddamn that, that that what a beautiful sentiment you know and and a lasting one i mean obviously our our shit's broken as fuck our society but like yeah those are the things that hold true you know those Just are the example yeah they're the the shining examples of humanity that I think we all, whether we realize it or not, are drawn to uh, the selflessness, the the acts of ultimate kindness in the face of ultimate angst. Right. Yeah. Those are the heroes. Though that's the true hero's journey, not just you know Beowulf going after Grendel. Sure, and killing and killing right. and killing. Yeah. Like in all reality, if if Beowulf approached Grendel and said, "Listen, I, I'm sorry, you're so angry," <laughs> how would that end? Right. I'd love to see a readaptation like that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because all Grendel was was a, a, a misunderstood uh, yeah. being creature. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's. I like that thought experiment. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I've uh, <clears throat> I've talked to many people about this in the uh, just within the conceit of the podcast, where like, do you punch the Nazi or do you hug the Nazi? Right. You get a different answer every time, and yeah. no answer is right or wrong. But something tells me that ultimately, if you're going to make someone think and win over their heart and mind, it's going to be through understanding and acceptance yeah yeah bring bring the light and the love mm -hmm. not not fire fights fire um that just yeah. makes a bigger fire exactly there you go spreads the fire yep <clears throat> well shit i think we solved everything i think we're i think we're <laughs> done if you need if you need any answers to life's <laughs> questions <listen> to this <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been going for two hours, and uh, it feels like it's been only like twenty minutes. So I can. Say I've enjoyed it a lot, man. I've enjoyed it as well, and I can say, in all honesty, that this has been an eye-opening conversation, and I look forward to doing it again. Um, what What are the plans for recording now? Because I know you're, you know, working on it. 
yeah. So September, uh, like I said, we we have the one early show. I think it's actually next Saturday, whatever day the third is. Um, I think it's I think it's a Saturday. But um, else the month of September, other record. So that's going to look like setting up this practice space. It's probably going to be a web of cables. Um, <laughs> you know, we're going to lose yeah. track of what's what. But I th- luckily I I can trust that my band because i mentioned that they went to school and they're 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 knowledgeable in this sort of sound production arena uh, that they're going to know how to do it and uh it's going to be better than my little shitty demos i have online i know that much (laughs) that i made in garage band so um hopefully i think we're just going to try to get like two songs you know Uh, one one at least if not two and uh, have those polished up, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that's within a, a couple months, few months, um, realistically. So um, yeah, whenever that happens, like you definitely count on on me shooting it your way, or if John doesn't do it first. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's pretty good with that. He keeps me abreast of everything. Yeah, yeah. But um, he's, uh, he's an awesome uh, pal to have in in my in my corner, and uh, <clears throat> I. I it's 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 very moving to hear you you I already know that he's like a fan and he's my homie but it's it's cool to hear you talk about it and how enthusiastic he is that that's really validating for me and like um, John John and I are are definitely for people who don't know each other that well we are very close and yeah. we we share a lot of things in common and I think that bound us but after yeah. I I done my interview with him we've been in constant contact and not yeah. just just like instant messaging or whatever like he yeah we, like it's text messages it's calling like we're yeah. we're we're in a constant dialogue to the point where i know exactly what's going on in his life and right. it puts me in a place where i worry about him a lot more than i probably should but that's sure. who i am yeah and, you know like he's just a good human being with a lot a lot of potential that it's just dying to be tapped into. So his opinion of your music means a lot to me because he's not going to steer me into a direction that's fruitless. Sure. Yeah. And he's got great taste and he's very talented. So, yeah. Yeah, And I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, blessed and and honored to be a part of his vision as well. And um, I guess, um, I'm glad he, he, I don't know how we ended up playing that Maribeth Fest, but I sure am glad he, we did and that he was there because mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's led to so many wonderful things that I've gotten to experience and, and still will experience moving forward. You know, we haven't even put out the Catholic school, the new, the new record from Sun. Um, General Labor is going to record and, and it would be, it would be an honor to be included in the compilation as well. I, re- I really hope this all comes off the way I, I envision it because there's such an amazing and, and uh, multifaceted spread of musicians that have been on the, this podcast. People who, like, for example, Michael Malarkey, who's a pretty famous actor. He's on, uh, oh, Jesus. He was um, one of the main characters on The Vampire Diaries. He's now on uh, that HBO TV show, Westworld. No kidding. Yeah. And he, um, 
he started out in like an emo tinged hardcore band in the nineties. And now wow. he makes this really great, like Nick cave slash, uh, cabaret inspired music. Okay. Okay. Really brilliant, really left of center music sure. to bands like Lycia who Lycia are like a dark wave rolling stones that, the, okay. the, you know what I mean? To, yeah people like soft kill to people like uh like so many different facets of of the underground music scene right. are kind of included in the diaspora that is this show so to have uh to have you involved would be really really important to me because you just inhabit a different space in 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 the many states of what it is to be involved in this show well, I'm glad to do it, man. I, I, I really appreciate you asking me to come on and um, super glad it worked out um, and that John referred you and, and we we hit it off. It seems like we have a lot in common. It, it's been a great yeah. conversation. Whether or not this even makes it out of outside of our computers, uh, it, it cool. was a great conversation. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm not one to edit, so more than likely it'll, it'll uh, see the light of day the way it happened <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not one to edit as long as no one makes a fool of oneself and sure like i'm not in the business of making you look bad for example <laughs> yeah don't him and eric me no 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 it's not my way <laughs> that's not my way but um you know you hadn't said anything that was that sure. damning sure <laughs> so to speak but um once you know you have an album ready to happen and you know things are moving in that direction i'd love to have you on again just to talk about that piece of work yeah it would be really cool to uh circle back and touch base and um yeah i mean i, I i'll probably be thinking about this conversation and uh the way you know the way that time works and life works uh lord knows where we'll be if and when we do circle back but i'd be really interested in following up I think that'd be great. I can't wait. I can't wait for it to happen. <laughs> awesome, man. Me too. And I and uh, I'll keep you posted on on the recording process. And um, and uh, you you let me know about how how all that's going. And um, yeah, man. Now I really just want to go back into the backlog and listen to <laughs> <laughs> listen to other conversations you've had. It's uh, th there's a lot of episodes. I've I've really touched a lot of bases over the past. 11 months i've been doing it very very brief amount of time i've i've uh been dealing with this undertaking but it's borne a lot of fruit so sure. I, I can imagine dude i mean it, it's i think it's really important what you're doing you know uh um, it's important for me right now you know obviously what what i've talked about and what i'm going through and uh i imagine i'm not the only one so yeah so thanks a lot man I appreciate you coming on, brother, and I, I hope we do it again soon. Absolutely. Count on it. All right, brother. All right. Have a good one. You too. Later on, Peter. Later, brother. And so goes another episode on the book. Corbin's a great, great dude. I, I love this guy. Um, we've kept in touch. This episode is, is like a year old at least. Uh, I didn't get to put it out when I wanted to, and just like a few other episodes, they kind of got 
corrupted. The files got corrupted and I had to have someone extract the files for me. This saddens me. But the great part is it's here now. And Corbin and I are going to get together again very soon. And we're going to expound upon this conversation. We have a lot in common, obviously. Uh, we come from similar places, musically, uh, culturally. Uh, you know, we've both been in the midst of some darker dealings in the world. But, you know, that's par for the course, right? Uh, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And I hope you give it a listen and you love it. And gosh, I love doing this show so much. I, I, I'm getting on an episode tonight. I'm, I'm recording an episode with Damien Moyal from As Friends Rust and, and Culture and uh, the great Damien Dunn. Um, speaking of something in the post-punk realm, uh, he and I have become friends over the course of this. The actor Michael Malarkey and I have become buddies in the course of this show. Uh, I, I've reacquainted myself with with friends from my past, like Justin Pearson from Def Club and The Locust, uh, Duncan Barlow from Endpoint, By the Grace of God, Guilt. Um, so many people... So many people have come through these doors, and I love them all. And I love you all for listening to this and being a part of it. This is a long episode. We're going back to the roots with my long episodes. Um, I hope you stuck it out, even if you did in pieces. So, from all of us at 3.33 a.m. Studios, this has been the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. He's been Corbin. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. Take really good care of each other. And I'll be around. You'll know where to find me. Godspeed, everyone. Love to you all. Good night.